0: Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show podcast on the Cross-Global Media Radio Network. Visit cgmradio.com slash bob to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show, our theme, Christianity and its relationship to politics and pop culture. Militant Islam is back in the news. A certain Khalid Awad stabbed Rabbi Shlomo Naginsky eight. Times on Thursday afternoon. Now, immediately, the International Business Times reported that the police have yet to establish the motive for the stabbing, and the investigation into the incident continues. My friends, have you noticed that when somebody is attacked by Muslims, we're told immediately not to rush to judgment, not to blame every Muslim in the country? I agree. I don't blame every Muslim every time a Muslim commits some kind of act of violence or murder. But then, when a black man is shot resisting arrest, we immediately have mayors, such as the mayor in Minneapolis, coming on TV, taking the mic, holding a press conference, and saying if the man had been white, this would not have happened. If the man had been white, he'd still be alive. Well, that's not a rush to judgment at all, is it? We're also lectured at that time about nationwide systemic racism in all police departments and everywhere else in the country. And that all white people should feel bad because of their white privilege. These are the same people telling us not to rush to judgment when an Islamist kills somebody. And half the time when an Islamist kills somebody, they actually tell you the reason they did it. I'm reading now from the words of Robert Spencer. He's an expert on militant Islam, known for Jihad Watch. This particular article appeared in front of. And he says regarding this incident with the stabbing of the rabbi, referring to Merrick Garland, the head of our Department of Justice, so-called, Garland has so far remained mum, but Awad's old roommates and friends at the University of Southern Florida have been more forthright. CBS reported Friday that one of Awad's old school chums said that while they were in college together, Awad started becoming violent. And not only that, he was very much anti-Semitic. He would say like... Like all types of Jewish jokes, I thought he was joking at first, and then I started to see seriousness in his comments. He disgusted me at that point. I wanted nothing to do with the guy. At this point, I was a little scared of him. I was scared of what he was capable of because I realized he was a very dark person. Awad got so violent, in fact, that his roommate moved out and got a restraining order against him. Before that, he said, we were friends, to be honest with you. I'm Jewish, and he knew that since I moved in. Might that have been why Awad began to get violent, Robert Spencer continues to say in his article. After all, around the time of the recent conflict between Hamas and Israel, Palestinian Muslims and their supporters committed acts of violence against Jews and supporters of Israel all over the United States. In New York City, a Muslim mob screaming Alu Akbar attacked a Jewish man in midtown Manhattan. Also in Manhattan, Palestinians threatened violence and screamed anti-Semitic slurs at Jews, one threw a mini firebomb. pro jihad protesters stormed a restaurant and spat on Jewish patrons. One of the thugs threw a bottle. A Muslim was arrested for viciously beating a Jew in Times Square. In Los Angeles, Palestinian protesters asked people dining at the Sushi Fumi restaurant if they were Jewish and proceeded to attack them with knives. Elsewhere in Los Angeles, two cars festined with Palestinian flags chased a Jewish man down a street as he was leaving his synagogue. In Florida, a van also bearing a Palestinian flag and emblazoned with the slogan, Hitler was right, drove past a pro-Palestinian demonstration. Okay, there's more to that article, but you get the message. Throughout the years on my radio show, when these incidents come up in the news, I sometimes feel the need to stop, back up, and take a more general look at the Quran and the religion of Islam. I'm going to do that today. We'll start it today, and then we'll continue to talk about this tomorrow. True or false? The Quran is a peaceful book, and its author, Muhammad, was a peaceful man. False! And yes, I am aware that the word false, false underneath a statement about gentleness of the Quran, sets off all kinds of bells and whistles, it collides immediately into a widely accepting talking point. Today, we are expected to go along with the conventional wisdom that Islam is actually a very peaceful religion, hijacked by only a handful of nutcase terrorists who are misrepresenting an otherwise benign movement. Undoubtedly, many listeners right now want to tell me that there are millions of peaceful Muslims in the world. Indeed, you have met some of them. I believe you okay? I believe you. But I have also read the Quran for myself cover to cover. One who understands the Quran and the teachings of its author Muhammad, allegedly speaking on behalf of God, also understands the commands to conquer the world in the name of Islam. This conquest is allowed to manifest itself in various stages with a variety of strategies depending on whether the Muslim population is large or small in its respective country. But the ultimate goal is to completely subjugate the nations of the world offering people the choice of either converting or at least cooperating with sharia law to some extent sharia law of course is religious rule those who refuse cooperation are to be put to yeah, this is the destiny of their cause. This is the teaching of their prophet. Now, as a Christian apologist, I have both debated Muslims and shared the gospel with Muslims. Such a balance between direct challenge and friendly interaction has provided me with a unique perspective. For this reason, I commonly receive questions. And let me read a few today. Bob, you have written and spoken on the air a great deal about Islam. Do you believe there are peaceful Muslims? Yes, of course there are peaceful Muslims. There are. Many, and I have conversed with quite a few. I've had warm talks and exchanges with wonderful, loving Muslims. In fact, I have observed in almost every Muslim I've encountered a deep, sincere hunger and thirst for God. They're often intrigued when Christians talk about a personal, spiritual relationship with our Creator that goes beyond formal worship. One of today's best kept secrets, seldom discussed in the media, is that literally millions of Muslims a year convert to Christianity. Now, Having said that, I don't mean to suggest that only Muslims interested in converting are peaceful. All kinds of pilgrims of Islam, satisfied with their faith, view the teachings of the Quran and the Hadith. the Hadith are additional alleged holy writings— they view the teachings of the Quran and the Hadith as incentives to become better people, not to raise havoc upon the planet. However, and I really hope you catch this, folks. Write it down if you can. Listen as I speak very carefully. These are delicate, but... important words. You ready? Whereas each and every Muslim practitioner must be evaluated on an individual basis, assessing the religion of Islam itself— is quite another matter. I know, I know, nobody wants to hear this, but the Quran really does call for the forceful spreading of Islam. I'm going to quote from a couple of passages. I'm just going to mention the chapter. There are usually a bunch of verses in each chapter, but just for the sake of time, I'm going to tell you the chapter where you can find this. That's why from time to time, you'll hear me mention the same chapter. Well, I'm referring to a different verse in the chapter at that point. Anyway, chapter or surah as it's called, surah 48. Muhammad is God's apostle. Those who follow him are ru- Ruthless to unbelievers, but merciful to one another. I'd say those words are fairly clear, wouldn't you? You want some more? Here's some more. Surah 8. Remember when your Lord inspired the angels, I will cast terror into the hearts of those who have disbelieved. So strike them over the necks, smite them over all their fingers and toes. Surah 9. Prophet, make war on the unbelievers and the hypocrites and deal rigorously with them. Hell shall be their home, an evil fate. They swear by God that they said nothing, yet they uttered the word of unbelief and renounced Islam. Another from Surah 9. Believers, make war on the infidels who dwell around you. By the way, infidels are defined in the Quran as people who refuse to convert to the teachings of Muhammad or perhaps people who had been Muslims but left the faith. Those are the infidels. Now, while the Quran says much about unbelievers in general, it offers additional refined specific comments regarding various people groups who do not embrace Islam, including comments about the Jews. This is especially relevant to our discussion today about what's going on in America and the Middle East between Jews and Muslims. Surah 5. The most vehement of mankind in hostility are the Jews and the idolaters. And then in Surah 2, Jews are described as being cursed. In Surah 3, Jews are headed for hell. Those words were first spoken in the 600s, the 600s, so I probably don't need to remind you that they have nothing to do with Israel's so-called illegal occupation of the West Bank in 1967. Even worse statements can be found in the Hadiths. The hour will not be established until you fight against the Jews, and the stone behind which a Jew will be hiding will say, "Oh my... Muslim, there is a Jew hiding behind me, so kill him. Islamic text not only speaks disparagingly of Jews, but Christians as well. Don't worry, fellow Christians, you were not left out. Surah 5. Believers, take neither the Jews nor the Christians for your friends. They are friends with one another. Whoever of you seeks their friendship will become one of their number. God does not guide the wrongdoers. As you can see, Muslims are told who to befriend, who to shun, and who to fight. Speaking of fighting, we hear a lot in the news about the belief that paradise awaits those who fall while waging jihad. Jihad literally means the struggle. It refers to waging war violently. In case you're wondering if the Quran truly makes such a promise about the paradise in relationship to jihad, well it does. As for those who are slain in the cause of God, he will not allow their works to perish. He will admit them to the paradise he has made known to them. That was from Surah 47. And you're wondering right now yeah but bob aren't there also verses in the quran that talk about peace yes my friend it's true that the quran talks quite a bit about the importance of peace we can even find verses which go out of their way to forbid forceful conversions we can surah 22 say "O man i am sent to you only to give a clear warning surah 17 We have not sent you to be a disposer of their affairs for them. All right, so why the paradoxical pleas for both war and peace? The explanation is actually quite simple. Muhammad was originally hoping to spread his new movement peacefully. When this did not happen, when not everyone found the words as soothing and appealing as he had anticipated, when he found that he needed to conquer places like Mecca by force and that this was the only way he would get individuals to accept Islam, Muhammad suddenly received new revelations from Allah and by an amazing coincidence these updated teachings not only condoned force but commanded force now here's the thing another one of these little secrets not really a secret but so few people know it it may as well be a secret it should be noted that the Quran's verses are not collected in chronological order. Instead, they appear according to length, ranging from the longest chapter, or surah, to the shortest chapter, or surah. While the commands to wage war are the most important revelations, this does not mean they are all found at the end of the book. Chapters about war and peace are intermingled. And so when people try to change the subject by ignoring the warlike verses of the Quran and instead bring up the peaceful verses, it should be immediately pointed out that these contradictory teachings exist side by side because Muhammad tried to spread his religion in contradictory ways. Yeah, but Bob, today only the The terrorists take those words seriously. No, not so, my friend, not so. It is true that the terrorists, sadly, are interpreting the Quran accurately, but many Muslims who do not identify themselves as terrorists still abide by their own book, which makes sense. After all, to them, the Quran is sacred scripture. Now you're wondering, well, okay, but she said there were peaceful Muslims, so how does a Muslim who's peaceful read these commands and deal with them? That's a very interesting question, and that will be the topic of our discussion on the next Bob Siegel show the bob siegel show podcast is a production of bob siegel and cross global media visit us online and subscribe to the show at cgmradio.com bob